If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you please take them and turn to the book of Galatians? Uh, the pastor asked me if I would stay in Galatians in keeping with the emphasis that's going on through preaching through the book of Galatians. And so the Lord uh, led me to the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. So if you have your Bibles open, if not, the bulletin has it recorded for you and the outline that is in the bulletin will follow. Uh, and uh, if we uh, have plenty of time, finish it. <laughs> Andre. <laughs> But in the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, the Christian Standard Bible, which is, we use in our services, this is what Galatians 3:27 says. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. What does it mean to be clothed with Christ? Well, they speak to us. Can clothes talk? Well, not vocally or verbally, but yes, clothes can talk. And uh, clothes can tell us a lot about individuals. Otherwise, where did the term fashion statement come from? Can fashions make statements? Well, indeed they can. A statement means the act of declaring or saying something like someone is saying, may I have your attention, please? There's a statement that I want to make to you. Galatians 3.27 has been called the Apostle Paul's Christian fashion statement. He shares with us that becoming a Christian was the equivalent of putting on a new set of clothes in this case the clothes of Christ. But what does it mean to put on Christ? That's the way the King James Version translates it. Look on your bulletin if you would. I've given you there several translations uh, that help us to understand and get a grasp of what it means to be clothed with Christ. The King James Version says, you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The New American Standard Bible and the Net Bible says that you have clothed yourself with Christ. But I think we get closer to the meaning of what it means to put on Christ's clothes when we look at the New Living Translation. Put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Or the Amplified Bible that says you have taken on his characteristics and values. So in order to put on the clothes of Christ, it means that you take on his characteristics, that you live by the values that Christ taught us to live by. And then the J.B. Phillips paraphrase says, you have put on the family likeness of Christ. In other words, when people look at you and the way you think and talk and act and behave, you are to be a reflection of the Christ who lives within you. You see, being a Christian and becoming a Christian is an inside job. It's what happens to you on the inside. And when you invite Christ into your heart, he lives in your heart. And then as you go about your life talking and, and acting out and doing the things that you do, you reveal the Christ to other people who lives in you. Your body is a temple, so to speak, for the Holy Spirit. 
who resides in you. And the Holy Spirit is Jesus in the Spirit. When you got saved, who did you invite into your heart? Well, you say, I invited Jesus into my heart. Well, now, wait a minute. When I got saved, I invited Jesus into my heart. So how can Jesus be in my heart and at your heart at the same time? Well, the answer, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, it is to your benefit. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. And he will abide in you. And the Holy Spirit is in you. And so who is in you? Well, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. You say, well, there's only one Jesus. That's right. But remember, all three persons of the Godhead are the same. They're all God. One is not more God than the other. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus in the Spirit, comes to live in my heart and in your heart. And we are being clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in your outline, there are four thoughts that I want to develop in helping us to understand what it means to be clothed with Christ. The first thing that I'm calling is the spiritual fusion of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm using the word fusion here because my alliteration says that all four blanks are to be filled out with words that begin with the letter F, okay? <laughs> I keep Mel on his toes back here. Okay? <laughs> so to begin with, that's what I'm calling the spiritual fusion of the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. And of course, by fusion, I mean the blending. When you have a fusion of two different elements, they all come together and they blend together by heat. If it's metal, and of course, we have the heat of the Holy Spirit and, and, and we become fused together with him. And, and he lives in our hearts. And this is demonstrated in two ways. First of all, the spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was interesting that the pastor baptized these individuals this morning because that's what we want to talk about a little bit. But there is the spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens to us the moment that we invite Jesus Christ to come into our hearts. The Holy Spirit fuses us with his spirit and we become one. In the 16th chapter of John's gospel, uh, John said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. One translation renders the comforter will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8 of John 16 says, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now you cannot be convicted of your, soul, uh, of your sins without the Holy Spirit doing that for you. That is his purpose in getting you saved. He convicts you, he convinces you that you are a sinner and that you need to be saved. And so when you pray, you ask Jesus to come into your heart, who in reality is the Holy Spirit. Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so we have him in our hearts. Now in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the Baptist said... I baptized you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. 
He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who is John the Baptist talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And he's saying, I baptized you with water, but when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, John the Baptist again says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks above me because he exalted before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from him like a dove and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me the one you see the spirit descending upon and resting upon him will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John is saying it's Jesus who does the baptizing. It's Jesus who does the welding together, the fusing together, if you please, of his spirit and your spirit. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 16, Peter said, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the baptism of the Spirit is that experience that you receive and that you have the moment you are saved, invite Jesus into your heart, a spiritual miracle does a, a miracle in you. It's an inside job and you become fused and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens to any believer, no matter what age, a child, teenager, college student, adult, young person, older person, it doesn't matter who it is. And so, you, you know, when I got baptized, I was eight and a half years old. I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I mean, I was, I was new. I, I always attended church. My folks did that. But I, I, you talking about baptizing the Holy Spirit? I had no clue what you were talking about. But even though I did not understand it, it still happened to me. And, and, and otherwise, I couldn't have been saved without the Holy Spirit convicting me. I can't be a child of God without the Holy Spirit living within me. So as a believer, you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to long for it, wait for it, search for it, beg for it, pray for it, plead for it, agonize over it, or stay awake all night to see whether or not you've ever experienced it. It happens to you, whether you realize it or not. What does the Word of God say about this? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Were the Jews or Greeks? Were the slaves or free? And we're all made to drink of one spirit, one spirit. So when you were baptized, you know, we saw a moment, these two individuals, when they got in the water, they were completely immersed. Their body was surrounded by water. And the baptism of the spirit means that the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and he surrounds your spirit. He just covers you over with his presence. And so you become one with him. And you're changed. You have a different behavior, a different lifestyle. Have you ever watched a movie or television drama where someone is placed in a witness protection program? Someone who has agreed to witness for the prosecution 
That individual said, if you will bring testimony against this guy who's a member of the mafia or whatever it is he's done, we'll take it upon ourselves to protect you from all harm. And here's the way it's supposed to work. The witness is taken out of his environment and placed in a totally new environment. He's given a new name, a new house, a new job, and a new identity. Yet he still has the same voice. He still has the same body and the same personal characteristics. His whole identity, however, has been changed. He has been placed in an entirely new environment. That's what's happening to you when you receive salvation. That is God's witness protection plan. He takes you out of an environment of sin and he places you in the environment of holiness. He picks you up out of where you are and he sets you down in a whole new environment under his protection. And that new environment is called the body of Christ. So there's this spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. But this spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit is symbolic and is symbolized by physical water baptism, just as we saw this morning. The two individuals who were baptized were immersed. You know, we don't sprinkle. We don't christen. I was talking with an individual this this week who, who was a member of a different denomination. They were talking about taking infants and christening them when they're several months old or whatever. And uh, I said, we, we don't christen people. Uh, we, we baptize people by immersion because sprinkling and christening any more than baptism doesn't save you. And uh, they get this idea, well, you, you take a newborn child just a few months old and you christen them and sprinkle them, they're all right. They're gonna go to heaven when they die. No, not necessarily. I don't go to heaven because I've been sprinkled or christened or baptized. I'm going to heaven because Jesus saved me. You understand that? And so uh, when baptism in the water symbolizes, it's an outward demonstration of what's happened to you on the inside. And when these two individuals were baptized this morning, they went down into the water. We didn't sprinkle them, but the pastor didn't sprinkle them. He didn't christen them. He dunked them. Should have held them under a little longer, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No offense, please. <laughs> but baptism doesn't save us. We do it in loving obedience to the Lord to demonstrate that we are the children of God. And so when you go down under the water, your body is completely immersed, enveloped, surrounded by water, demonstrated what's happened to you on the inside. The Holy Spirit has come into your being, your innermost being, and he just immerses you with, his, with, with, with himself, with the Holy Spirit. He just envelops you on the inside of you. And baptism, the reason we don't sprinkle and baptize is because Jesus set the example. When he went to John the Baptist and, and requested John to baptize him, you know what they did? The Bible says that Jesus and John the Baptist got down into the river. Now, it doesn't say that they got down into the river, but you know why I can say that? Because after John baptized him, it says Jesus came up out of the water. So how can you come up out of the water if you hadn't gone down in the water? Okay. Another example of this is in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, where Philip was called out into the 
uh, to the, the desert to meet up with the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, we saw the Ethiopian eunuch and heard him reading from the prophecy. And, and he began asking questions about who's the prophet talking about. He's talking about himself or somebody else. And so at the, the, the eunuch's, uh, uh, Ethiopian eunuch's request, he got up in the, in the chariot and began to explain to him, well, this is Jesus and he died for us and so forth. And uh, after a moment, after having explained that to him, he said, well, can I get baptized? Sure. So they stopped the chariot. And in Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 39, it says that Philip and the eunuch got down into the water and he baptized him and then they came up out of the water. That's baptism. You go down and you immerse symbolizing what's happened to you on the inside because you have taken the clothes of Jesus into your being and you, you're symbolizing uh, in water baptism what has happened to you in your spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there's this physical, uh, spiritual fusion of the Holy Spirit. Well, quickly look at the second thing. The spiritual fabric, the fabric of Christ's clothing if we are being clothed with Christ, what kind of clothing are we receiving? What kind of fabric is it made of? Well, obviously, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's Christ's righteousness. My righteousness is no good. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So I dare not stand before the Lord on the day of accountability and, and accept, well, uh, my righteousness is going to be satisfactory. No, it's not. It's not my goodness. It's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you are clothed with Christ, in essence, you are being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. The first and most important thing about Christian's wardrobe is that he is dressed in the righteousness of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no not one. Now Christ was and is and always will be righteous. He is the Holy One of God. The prophet Isaiah spoke of righteousness as being a girdle or a belt of the loins and righteousness would sustain him. Jeremiah said that the Lord would raise up David a righteous branch. Judas confessed, I have, I have betrayed innocent blood. Judas is talking about Jesus. He said, I've betrayed innocent blood. He was a holy righteous man. The writer of the book of Hebrews refers to Christ as being without sin. Even on one account, Jesus said, what do you commit me, uh, accuse me of? Why are you, what have I done? I've done nothing that was unrighteous. Pilate even testified after he personally examined Jesus, I find no fault in this man. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 that we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ is the Holy One. He is the righteous one. And it is his righteousness that I am clothed. That is the fabric that we are clothed with. That's the clothing of Christ. Now we see this symbolized in several ways. Over in the book of Genesis, where Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And uh, you remember they disobeyed the Lord, took of the forbidden fruit, and then suddenly their eyes were opened and they, they saw that they were naked. 
And they went and, and, and I guess Adam did got the leaves together and made aprons for them because they, they were realizing that they were naked and, and, and uh, they needed, they were embarrassed. So they put their, their, their leave, clothes of leaves together. Well, they were inadequate. When Jesus came walking, the Lord came walking in the cool of the Garden of Eden, Adam, where art thou? It wasn't, he didn't know where they were. He knew what they were. God didn't ask that question of them uh, for his benefit. He knew where they were. He knew what they had done. He asked it for their benefit. You've got to come to realize that you are lost and a sinner and you can't save yourself and you need something else. And all physical attempts that you have to cover up your unrighteousness before the Lord is inadequate. And so what did the Lord do? He took an animal in the Garden of Eden, slew it, took the skin and used that clothing to cover them. You see, the Lord provided the garment for Adam and Eve. Over in the book of Zechariah, there's Joshua the high priest. He is standing before the Lord and the devil is there and uh, the devil is tormenting him and accusing him of his unrighteousness. In verse three of Zechariah three, it says Joshua was clothed with filthy rags. In verse four, he, the, the people standing with him said, remove the filthy garments from him. In verse four, I will clothe you with festive robes. And in verse five, put a clean turban on his head. So here is Joshua, the high priest. His clothes are dirty. They're not adequate. The Lord said, take those dirty clothes off of him and put some new ones and clean ones on him. Another example of this is in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus tells the story about a rich man who put on a wedding for his family. And in those days, I guess if you were wealthy enough, when you put on a wedding, you would perform wedding garments. You didn't have to worry about getting a, a suit or a tuxedo or whatever. It was all furnished for you. So this father had this wedding for his daughter and son-in-law. And so during the social time, he was walking around through them and he came up on a person who didn't have on a proper wedding garment. And looked at the man and said, how'd you get in here? How did you get in here without a garment? He said, take this man, throw him out. You see, he didn't have on the proper clothing. And, and we need to have the proper clothing, not the one that we provide, but the one that the master provides. And then you've got the story of the prodigal son. Here's a story that Jesus told about a father who had two sons. One of them uh, wanted to rebel and he went off into the, he demanded his portion of the inheritance. And he went off into the far country, wasted all of his, pro, his inheritance, uh, ended up living in a, a pig pen, eating the food that he would feed the pigs because he was starving to death. And in the midst of all that murk and mire, he came to himself. He said, you know, the servants back home better off than I am. I'm going to get up out of this place and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as a hired servant. And you know what the father did? He turned to his servant. He said, go kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. And he said, go get the best robe and put it on him. This is my son who was dead and now he's alive. So you see all through the Bible, there is this symbolic meaning of getting rid of the dirty clothes and putting on the clean clothes that are provided for you. And in our case, it is the righteousness of the Lord himself. So to be clothed with Christ means that you take on his righteousness. Now, of course, this change is instantaneous, instantaneous. When you got saved, you were given new spiritual wardrobe and uh, 
We're so used to the smelly rags, however, we sometimes want to cling to the old rags. But we, we, we have to change and accept coming to Christ is like joining a new team and uh, putting on a new uniform. And this is what happens. Suppose there was a member of the New York Yankees. He was traded to the Houston Astros. And he shows up at Minute Maid Park still wearing the Yankees uh, pinstripes. Well, what will his new teammates say? They'll tell him, you either change your uniform or you go back to New York. And well, they should. Once you join a new team, you change uniforms. You come to Christ with filthy rags, but you get rid of them. You take them off and you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's the fabric of this new clothing. But then in addition to that, you also have the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Because you see this inside job that takes place when Jesus comes in, he takes control of you and you begin to demonstrate a different lifestyle. You don't cuss anymore. You say good things. You love people. You're at peace with one another. And what comes out of your mouth is words of peace and joy and you're kind to people and you're good to people and you're faithful and you're gentle and you're in control of yourself. There's a song that we sing that Andre leads us sometimes called The Solid Rock. And the fourth stanza of that says, Oh, when he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. There's a song that the late B.B. McKinney wrote called Let Others See Jesus in You. While passing through this world of sin and others, your life shall be, be clean and pure. Without, within, let others see Jesus in you. Your life's a book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? What joy it will be at a set of sun in mansions beyond the blue to find some souls that you have won. Let others see Jesus in you. Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave, be true, and lead the lost to life and light. And let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Just let others see Jesus in you. That's what it means to wear the spiritual fabric of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are dressed in, wit in righteousness and you are a witness by the way you act and by the way that you talk, the things that you do and say and think. When people look at you, do they see you or do they see Jesus? The third idea is the spiritual fellowship of Christ's family. Look at verse 28. Going back to Galatians 3, look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor free male, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So when you became a child of God and you invited Jesus into your heart and you became dressed in his righteousness and you begin to produce the fruit of the spirit in your actions and attitude and words, there's one other thing that happens to you. You become a member of the family of God. And uh, that's what we are here today. Those of us who know Jesus, we're members of the church. We're Christians and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Go, go back and look at verses 26 and 27 of Galatians chapter three. Verse 26 says, for some of you are sons of God. No, for you are all 
sons of God. Verse 27 again says, for all of you. And how do we become sons of God? Well, it tells you in verse 28 and 26, excuse me. For verse 26 says, for you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith. Not of anything you did, not, nothing uh, that you could do that could, could make that possible for you. It's, it's all done by faith. You put your faith in Christ. And, and, the, and the faith is not that you, you know, there's a difference between believing in Christ and believing Christ. If you believe in Christ, you're not doing any more than the demons do. If it were possible for us to, uh, to put uh, the, the devil, Satan here at my side and, and say to him, Lucifer, who's Jesus? Why, he's the son of God. The devil knows that. Jesus created him, but he wasn't a devil when he created him. He turned into a devil. But when you just say, I believe in Jesus, well, you're not doing any more than the devil and the demons do. But you have to say, I believe Jesus. I put my trust in him. I put my faith in him. I'm counting on him for my salvation. It's not just a mental confession that I make. And when you do that, you become a part of the body of Christ. And in this passage of scripture of verse 28, he talks about when Christ comes into your heart, he abolishes spiritual differences. He says in verse 28, you're neither Jew nor Greek. He abolishes social differences. There's neither slave nor free in verse 28. And then he says he abolishes the sexual differences. There's neither male nor female. In other words, he's saying we're all equal. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. And one person is not better than another person. And we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I read in preparation for this that it was a common practice in the days of Jesus that a man, a Jewish man, would get up every morning and he would say a prayer. And in his prayer to the Lord, this is what this Jewish man would say. Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. <laughs> now, I didn't say that. Now, that was what they were, they were praying, okay? <laughs> there was a prejudice there. And Jesus changes all of that. You see, if you're a family of, member of the family of God, we're all equal. I'm not any better than you are. You're not any better than I am. I'm a sinner just like you're a sinner and I've been saved by, by the, the grace and, 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 and Jesus dying for me and my trusting him and believing in him. And you're the same way. So it, it's not a matter, are you a Jew or a Gentile? It, it's not a matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter what church you belong to. It doesn't matter if you're a Catholic or a Methodist or a Baptist or a Pentecostal or Church of Christ or a Presbyterian. The issue is, are you in Christ? And if you're not in Christ, it doesn't matter what church you belong to. But if you're in Christ, it's not an issue of these other matters. It's a matter of the issue is, are you in Jesus? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by the blood, joint heirs with Jesus. As we travel this side, I'm part of the family of God, family of God. Well, fourth and finally, there's the spiritual fortune, the spiritual fortune, fortune that, that we have inherited, the spiritual for, fortune. Look at verse 29. 
And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. You are part. You remember, and I hope that you didn't misinterpret what God intended to do through Abraham. You read the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. The original intent of God was that through Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. Of course, it didn't work out that way exactly. Uh, but he did a promise to Abraham that his seed would. Look, if you would please, at verse 7, I believe it is, that he's talking about in chapter 3. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of God. So faith is the key. Notice, if you would, how many times the word faith appears in this passage of Scripture. In, in verse 2, in verse 5, in verses 7, 8, and 9, in verses 11 and 12, verse 14, verse 22, 23, 24, 25, and 26. Faith, 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 faith. It's all of faith. Faith and belief in Christ that makes you what you are. And we are Abraham's seed. We are Abraham's seed. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are faith who are the sons of God, who are the sons of God. And he talks about in the passage about the seed of Abraham and the faith that we have and that we are a part of that as well. When I became a Christian, when you became a Christian, you fell heir to the greatest fortune that you will ever receive. I feel pity for the, for the Bloomberg of, of, of America and the rest of the world. They got all this money and the day's going to come. They're not going to keep it. It's all going to vanish away. And only that what you have in Jesus Christ is the wealth that you'll keep. An heir is a person who by law is a member of the family of God. If you are an heir, you have a legal right to the inheritance. And as a Christian, you have right to, to the inheritance that was promised to Abraham and to Jesus. You know, I'm rich. I really am. Not in material things, but in spiritual things. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth can corrupt and, 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 and thieves can steal. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of those things can help. I have a riches that the devil can't take away from me. I've got riches that death can't take away from me. It reminds me of the story of the man who was told that he had terminal disease and he was going to die and he was a very wealthy man. He told his wife, I want you to put all of my wealth in a bucket, put it up in the attic so that when I die and I go through the attic, I just reach over and grab up that bucket and take it right on up there with me. <laughs> so she did it. He died. And after the funeral was over, she thought to thinking about it. Is that bucket still up there? So she went up in the attic. Sure enough, it was. There was that bucket and all that money. She said, hmm, I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> but think about your wealth, how rich you are, that you have inherited by the fact that you are clothed in the garments of Christ. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit living in me. I'm never alone. 
I, I have peace that passes all understanding. I have wisdom that I get from him that guides me in my decisions. And when I die, you know what? I'm going to heaven. I've got a home in heaven. It's mine. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. And I'm going to prepare one of them for you so that when you die and you come to me, you're going to have a place to live. So I've got a mansion in heaven that will be there forever. And when we die, I go to heaven. We'll have a home in heaven. We are united with my loved ones. Man, can you imagine those of you who've already had to give up your loved ones here on this earth and die and bury them? If, if they're Christians, you're going to see them again. It's going to be a great family reunion. What greater wealth would you ever want than to know you're going to spend eternity with your family and you're going to have a home. And you know what else? I'm not going to sit on a cloud and float around in the sky and stroke a harp and twiddle my thumbs and say, well, what am I going to do now? The book of Revelation says, and their servants will serve him. I don't know what I'm going to be doing in heaven, but I'm not going to just be sitting there bored of there twiddling my thumbs. And this is breedism here, I must admit. My time's up. I've got to go here. But uh, <laughs> what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Well, Revelation says you're going to serve him. I don't know what all that means. But here's what I think, and I'm, I don't want to plant anything that's not biblical. But you remember a story that Jesus told about uh, the, the master who called in his servants? And he gave five talents to one and two to another and one to a third. He went away for a while and then he came back and called those three guys in and said, what have you done with what I entrusted to you? The man to whom he'd given five, he said, well, I've invested them and I've doubled them. And the man said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over these things. I will give you many other things. Enter thou into the joy of the father. To the man to whom he'd given two, he said, what have you done with you? He said, well, I took those two talents of I invested them and now I've got four. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over these things. I'll give you many other things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And then he turned to the one to whom he'd given one. What have you done with yours? Well, I know you, 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 you're a rough owner. You, you tight. You, you, you expect a lot of things of me. And I was scared and afraid. And so I went and hid mine. And I got it intact. Well, it didn't please the man. He said, you take that away from him, give it to these others and cast this man into outer darkness. And what I'm trying to say to you, and this again, I, this is just my feelings. What I'm going to be doing in heaven, I'm not going to be sitting around doing nothing. But what I'm going to be doing in heaven may be determined by how faithful I have been to what God has entrusted to me while I'm here on this earth. If he cannot trust me now to take what he gives to me, to use it to his honor and to your glory, do you think he's going to be anxious to give to you anything to do in heaven? Based on how faithful you are now may determine exactly to what extent you're going to be serving the Lord when you get to heaven. So I'm going to be busy serving the Lord. The world has no answer to the problem of sin and death. In Christ, we've been delivered from our sin. We've been set free and we're rich. The practice was in those days that when a young Roman son reached the age of accountability and became a man in all sight, they had a party, they had, they had a, a ceremony. Up until that time, a boy would wear a child's robe. But when he reached the age where he could be trusted with responsibility, that robe was taken off of him and a new robe was put on him one that was trimmed with a purple border, symbolizing that he had passed from childhood 
into manhood. When you became a Christian, you laid aside the law. You don't depend on the law for your salvation. You put on the righteousness of Jesus. Have you been saved? Have you changed the garments of your soul? Have you addressed yourself in the clothes of Jesus? Let's bow together. Father, I pray that you'll take the message, not my words, but yours, and apply them to our hearts and help us to realize that having trusted you, we've become new creatures on the inside and you've clothed us with your righteousness. And now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to our hearts and minds. And if there's those here today who've never trusted you, bless them and guide them to make that decision for Christ's sake. Amen.